independentleft.news. Indie. Indie. What's up, Indie? Indie News Network. Indie. I get news from Independent Left. Independentleft.news. Independentleft.news. Indie Left Media. Independent Left News. Indie Left. Independent Left News. Independent Left Media. Indie Media. Indie Left. Indie. 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 Indie Left News. Indie Left. Hi, Indie. Indie Left News. Subscribe to Indie News Network. We're world building. Your, your way of assisting, I feel like, is really cool. Independentleft.news. Independentleftnews. I'm a huge fan. He created INN. The founder of uh, Independent News Network. Indie is the founder of Indie News Network. Thank you, Independentleft.news. A huge thank you and shout out to Indie Left. Everyone, check out Indie Left News. Hey, Indie Left. Independentleft.news. Indie. Indie. Hi, Indie. Indie Left. Indie Left News. Indie News. Independent Media. Independentleft News has done an amazing job. Mm-hmm. Oh, it worked! Hey, how are you, everybody? Mm-hmm. Surprise! Merry Christmas! Uh, happy surprise. almost New Year! We're we're here for a surprise Merry extra Christmas. extra bonus show, not an extra bullet show. That was that was the other night when we aired the grievances on on the Festivus show on on War, Uncle Warren's channel and on INN. We're live on INN, of course. This is Andy. Hi, everybody. Mm-hmm. Hi, everybody. Uh, Hi, everybody. I'm, I'm starting to steal Jesse's thunder now. We're we're kind of opening American tradition now. Oh, every right. every two weeks with him doing the Harry Carey. Hi, everybody. And it just he, he's so good at Hi. it. I just I don't do it justice anymore. And shout out to Jesse. How are you, Jesse? We got a bunch of people in chat already. Good to see everybody. Family. We got Screw Google. Yes, yeah, Screw Google. Eric T. Red. We got Kamishwar and Kate. We got Warren. We got, I saw Oz was already here and Mad Mama Non. What's up, King of Kings? And yeah, we got the King of Kings in here. Uh, we got a bunch of new things happening. Uh, really excited about tonight. Really excited about, somebody said, are you excited about the new year? And kind of, yeah, there's there's a couple. Th- it, can't get, it can't get much worse. So uh, we are live on Rockfin. Mm-hmm. We're live everywhere. Um, I'll I'll go into my little spiel in a minute. I just want to say hi to everyone, give a couple of minutes for people to get in, but uh and then we get to some stories. <clears throat> I wrote something this week, which yeah. is different. Uh, happy Kwanzaa. Yes, we got Karen here. Welcome, Karen. Um so we we're gonna follow up on railroad strike. Where are we? What are we gonna do now? Uh we're gonna talk about a kit uh Kit Clarenberg put out a killer substack this week that kind of people missed because there was so much happening and Christmas and everything else. I screwed around with with ChatGPT and we found some bias over there and we uh and we're gonna dig into a bunch of Twitter file stuff and uh and figure out you know not much surprise there but it's confirmation and it's actually looking at the the communications back and forth with the, the between executives and and all of the Intel community that this guy Elvis Chan in San Francisco all these other guys so we're gonna dig into all that tonight too um how was your uh how was your holiday dude it was all right my oven broke well that's that's um so that was fun i see the festivus poll is still out yep we got you know that stream with warren was great pasta was there that was fun um Old Jardula. Um, but yeah, did that, gave gifts, ate too much. You know, you went and ate Chinese food, I heard. Oh, 
That's that's our tradition. Um, We're supposed to. I think that's a rule or the law. Uh, Eric got a nice pair of slippers. <laughs> Net Randa wishing you peace and pos- prosperity up in Can- Canada. Uh, our buddy Yeti just moved down to, I believe, the Calgary area. Hoping he's doing well. INN member Yeti. Give give him a, a follow over over on the Twitters, Yeti1181. Uh, okay, so welcome, everybody, to How Do We Miss That? How Do We Miss That is a podcast and live stream featuring articles written by independent journalists who expose corruption, cover the growing labor movement, and challenge establishment narratives and talking points. New episodes stream live Sunday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern, normally, unlike tonight, on our YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, Rockfin, Substack, Facebook, Telegram channels. Podcasts usually publish within a couple days. Co-host Indy, that's me. Hi, I'm the founder and editor of Indie Left News and the Indie Media Today Substack. This guy sitting next to me, he's Reef Breland. He's also INN's technical director. He's the creator of INN News and of Reefer After Dark. Both of us are co-founders of Indie News Network. He's doing a Queen's Wave right now. A collaborative family of independent mm-hmm. content creators. Find all our channels on IndieNews.network. All the stories tonight were included in independentleft.news between Sunday and Friday. It's just a fire hose of content that comes out all week. And these are just a few articles that I grabbed that I didn't really think anybody was paying attention to, except for, of course, the Twitter files where I want to break down and give my analysis. Uh, Please make sure to share this link, like stream, subscribe to the channel anywhere on all the platforms where you listen. As you know, we're everywhere. Give it a five-star review on any podcast platform that you're on, like Spotify. We're actually on Spotify video, too, so you can actually watch the thing on Spotify, and I cut it down, and I get rid of Boats. Because Boats doesn't really work for audio, so it goes out as a podcast. That's the only reason I cut it out. Plus, you should watch it here or watch the replay on YouTube or one of the other channels. Run Rumble again. Rumble's been cranking for us, so hello to Rumble. Hi, Rumble. Welcome, Rumble. Love you guys. Chat over there. Let us know that you're alive because we'd love to see some chat over there. And uh, appreciate everybody checking us out over on the Rumble because YouTube, of course, we know about algorithmic algorithmic suppression. Thank you also to everybody over on Rockfin. We just hit 3,000 Rockfin subscribers. Woohoo! Rockfin.com slash IND left news. 3,002, I saw. We're, we just hit 3,000. So that's that's big. We're also getting very close to monetization in our 4,000th watch hour here on YouTube. And we're getting close to 1,500 subs here. So... We're growing and appreciate everybody checking it out and glad you like what you see and we're going to keep making more stuff. So I'm going to get to the main, Indie main, and you're going to notice something that looks a little, hey, hold on a second. Now, well, I got to go full screen first. You're going to notice something. Oh, that looked a little different. Well, this is going to look even more different. Hey, now that doesn't look very different yet, but it will. Um, <clears throat> all right. So you've got our killer thumbnail. Thank you so much to Greg, Big Mad Crab, who's probably in the chat. I think we've got somebody over here uh, checking it out. Uh, all right. Can you kill the Twitch thing? Railroad strike. Um, what now? What happened over there? I don't know. No, I can't. Thank you. I'm not on Twitch. Okay. What happened and what that. now on the railroad strike? I got you. The hell with it. Ah. And what happened? On Socialist Alternative, well, we know 115,000 railroad workers lost their right to strike, but what happened? And we kind of did a post-mortem on this. Uh, Keely Mullen from Socialist Alternative wrote this. Working on the railroads has always been challenging till the last several decades. It was a well-paying job with downtime. You had a full crew on each train and schedule was somewhat predictable. And we've talked about 
the the scheduling the last several decades you've got more than 100,000 people 30% of american goods moving in the dusty corners of the internet you can find forums from 10 years ago where railroad workers urge workers in other industries to think long and hard before joining them on the tracks why well in january 2012 railroad worker wrote you have no life you lose your friends cannot plan anything your life really is the railroad. Imagine walking a two-mile-long train in the 100-degree heat, zero-degree cold, pouring rain or snow, then, after being on the road 12 hours, going home and being called right back after 10 hours. If you already have a decent job, I would strongly advise against it, unquote. This is the context for the years of negotiations between 12 unions representing 115,000 workers, railroad workers, and the Again, handful of corporations that control 90% of freight rail traffic. Well, it's the tracks, of course, we know that carry most passenger trains. So it's, it's, it's an oligopoly. These negotiations now have been brought to a screeching halt. Fast. Right? What? See that five times fast. It's an oligopoly. These negotiations mm -hmm. have now been brought to a screeching halt under the leadership. <laughs> of the self-described, quote, most pro-union president leading the most pro-union administration in American history. That's right, Jack. Workers across four unions, which together represent a majority of the thoroughly overburdened workers, sheet metal, air, air rail and transport workers, uh, transportation division, the, the Blet, uh, Brotherhood of Railway Signalmen, the Brotherhood of Maintenance of way employees and teamsters and the international brotherhood of boilermakers they all rejected this proposed contract but the votes of 80 u.s senators and 290 u.s representatives were enough to enforce the deal that the rail magnets wanted and prevent workers from striking for a fair contract we've seen all this but the outcome was that one of the bosses was one that the bosses had counted on from the start knowing they had both political parties in their pockets okay as a proud pro-labor president, I'm proud to override the ratification procedures and views of those who voted against the agreement. He's, he's proud. Oh, he, he said he's reluctant. I'm sorry, uh, Joe Biden said in the tweet the day mm -hmm. before the sellout vote. But in this case, where the economic impact of a shutdown would hurt millions, I believe Congress must use its powers to adopt this deal. Well, yeah, we, we, we've heard all about this, but... We got him. There, there's a bigger story here, and it's about what's happening with this precision scheduled railroading that in the 90s, as these giant rail corporations grew, they started um, professionally putting their people on a schedule called precision scheduled railroading. PSR meant routes were slashed, yep. rail yards closed, trains were lengthened, and expected to run for much longer stretches of time. Tens of thousands of workers laid off, right, placing the burden of increasingly difficult, difficult work on a smaller workforce. And in just the last seven years, we've talked about this, railroads have cut as much as 35% of workers in certain titles. And it's like, you know, a quarter of their workforce or more. Today, these longer yep. freight trains are in some cases operated by a one-person crew. <laughs> one person is a crew now, whereas historically a five-person crew would communicate up and down the train. Now just one worker is responsible for operating the entire train while communicating on the radio with dispatchers, signal maintainer maintainers, foremen, other crew, train crews, as well as maintaining all the paperwork, including keeping track of all hazardous materials above the train. Now, there might not be a problem there, right? 
if that single if that single worker were to have a heart attack on a job or even just got sleepy after a 12-hour stretch with nothing more than federally mandated breaks, the consequences could be catastrophic. And after making it through mm. the shift, they can expect to get a few hours of sleep at a motel in the middle of nowhere while keeping their phone on full volume in case they're called back to work because they don't have enough people. Then they talk about here, 2013, a train with 72 tank cars full of crude oil. I remember watching this on Rachel Maddow, oh. believe it or not, she called, she talked about train bombs. and This became a big thing. Like, okay, the failure was, now this was outside Quebec, but they, it happened here in, in, in Pennsylvania and a couple of states where a, <clears throat> a tank car full of oil, yeah, now, this one exploded in the center of town, destroying it and killed 47 people. Wow, I don't remember hearing that. Almost mile-long train had only one single engineer. Crucial brake stability test could have prevented the accident, but it would have required two employees to do it. After the disaster, the Canadian government reversed itself, mandated at least two-person crews for trains carrying hazardous materials. Wow. Still, you need five people. Just two people for a whole fucking... Yeah, like... You still need five right. people. Mm -hmm. Um... Right? No, it's just fucking. They do this in every industry, and it just—it's it's sad that they're doing it here too. To stuff that is hazardous. Well, it puts us all at risk because the rails go right across yes. the roads. But you know, it's in mm -hmm. this dangerous context that rail corporations are making record profits. Of course, we know that in 2016, Miss Flurry cutbacks at Union Pacific, second largest railroad in the U.S. CEO Lance Fritz cut himself a 10 million dollar check. This is nothing compared to the money the bosses get themselves today. In the last three years, the CEOs of the five largest rail conglomerates have been paid more than $200 million. That's insane. Wealthy company shareholders have been yep. given nearly $200 billion in stock buybacks and dividends. That's even more insane. And, and who did this? Of course, we know it was our friend, uh, our, our good friends, the Democrats, right? Right, Bernie? They're the ones that called the vote yep. to break the strike. So how does all this lead lead us today where under the direction of Biden, Democrats and Republicans in Congress join hands to crush the workers' impending strike? Well, to understand this betrayal, we have to go back. And again, people have talked about the Railway Labor Act in 1926. The RLA's legislative ancestry can be traced as far back as the strike-breaking warfare of 1877. I mean, we're talking 150 years now. The law allows... RLA, the Nikki, what? RLA, yeah, that that does look like it. the railway, yes, Labor Act, the RLA. But she's she's Nikki Chikana. Uh The law mm -hmm. allows the president to intervene. In, naming. <laughs> Sorry, oh, go ahead. Oh boy, the law allows the president to intervene in labor disputes that quote threaten to substan threaten substantially to interrupt interstate commerce. And this is what Biden did in September with full backing of the union's toothless misleadership. Yes. His administration brokered a new tentative agreement between the rail magnets and the 12 unions representing the rail workers, even though the rail workers overwhelmingly rejected that agreement. The agreement included modest wage gains, though in the context of rampant inflation, any wage increase without a cost of living adjustment amounts to a pay cut, but did not give workers any paid sick leave. Unreal, a key demand of rail workers who currently have zero guaranteed sick days. They have other vacation days, but they have to use those days for sick days. When the Biden broker TA was sent to rail workers for a vote, it was defeated in four of the 12 unions. Right. 
representing nearly 60% of all rail workers. And this meant that a strike was back on the table, sending the Democratic Party leadership into crisis, knowing it'd be on them to crush the strike at all costs. And this is something that the Democrats are familiar with, though, because Democratic presidents have crushed strikes in each of the following years, 41, 45, twice in 78, Bill Clinton in 94, 97, and of course, Barack Obama, famously in 2011. Um, so I don't think we're really covering anything that we haven't covered already <laughs> so far. Um, but that only four of the unions voted against it, that did eight vote for it. And it, it's, they're not saying that, but it seems like eight of the unions did vote that represented 40% of the membership uh, of those eight unions. Hang on one second. Hmm. Who voted to cross the strike and who didn't? It's a matter of principle. Anyone who votes to break a strike, no work, no friend of working people. We know this. So there's no amount of strategic justification that can undo it. Striking is the single most powerful tool that workers have to win their demands because it brings profit making to a halt. And that's the one thing that scares billionaire bosses the most. Yes. Proof of this, we can look to the postal worker strike 1970. 200,000 federal postal workers took an Ill illegal strike action. Remember, illegal. And then they won. They overcame Nixon's attempts. They used the National Guard to break the strike. They overcame their union leadership's conservative hesitancy. And they won. They secured a significant pay increase, a faster step increases, a cost of living adjustment and ended the practice of postal workers being forced to sit on in a swing room unpaid while being waiting while waiting for work. I remember that. Reef, I think your camera got knocked over. Yep. Politicians across the aisle, mm -hmm. but under the leadership of the Democrats, took away workers' best weapon to win their demands. And this is what capitalist politicians are there to do. They're not neutral individuals. The entire election system binds them to their funders so that they'll defend the interests of billionaires against those of workers. Shamefully, of course, we know progressives in Congress, quote-unquote, were accomplices in this. Any notion that AOC or Jamal Bowman, DSA, in the House, can be considered socialist should fully be dispelled at this point. I think so, too. So what now? It's crucial that workers everywhere learn the lessons of this betrayal. And first and foremost, that neither the Democrats nor Republicans will ever prioritize the workers, the needs of workers over their system's thirst for profit. Again, no surprise, but some people just haven't heard this yet. They're both firmly held tools of the billionaire class. Workers deserve a political voice of our own. Yes, totally agree. So second and connected. No. Union leaders, right, have a well-established practice for many decades of fastening themselves to the rear end of the Democratic Party. And in 2020, the Teamsters, mm -hmm. who, who absorbed BMW ED, okay, that's the third largest rail union in 2004, gave over $2.1 million to Democratic candidates. And for what? To get sold down the river. In fact, some, the, over the summer, Teamsters leaders Sean O'Brien and Fred Zuckerman welcomed Biden's intervention, though they later attempted an about face. Um, Zuckermanberg? <laughs> right. We need an, act, an active rank-and-file movement within the unions pushing for genuine internal democracy, including democratic oversight over the Demo small d, not democratic party, but democratic oversight over the spending of union members' dues money. 
as well as for political independence mm. for both parties of big business. Okay. Already, there are very positive signs that this is afoot in the rail unions just this week. Members of the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, the BLET, this is what I was talking about, they voted to oust their president, Dennis Pierce, as punishment for his collusion with Biden. And the consequences of this betrayal will be brutal for railroad workers who will now be forced to continue working in hazardous conditions. But it can also serve as a wake-up call for the left and labor movement to fight for a fundamentally new strategy, one defined by political independence, genuine democracy, and class struggle militancy. Yeah, I mean, mm. we have no home in either major political party. Hey, what's that? Check that out. But we do, we do have a store. You we can find shop. awesome goodies. You get you some, get you a hoodie. We got shop. Check it out. Beanie. You get some merch. And that beanie's got that beanie's Beauty embroidered. T-shirt. It's hot. I'm waiting for it to arrive in the mail. We got a couple shirts. We got hoodies. We got a zip up. Indie media today for the Substack. We got indie left news. We got how do we miss that? Got a little bit of everything. Pretty soon we're gonna have a new a new logo to add to this one called Indies Tech Tips. So check that out. That's coming. We just started recording today. Just the tips. Just the tips. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going deep. Not going. Well, we're going. We're we're going deep with the tips. <laughs> wow. I'm like we the have, hole you're digging yourself in. We have derailed. Uh, Greg. I moved you. I moved you back. I moved you back till after we do the Twitter thing. All right. I didn't want to do that up front because we're not even at the, the the Hunter Biden and the Yoel Roth. It didn't make any sense yet. Anyway, um, yeah, Lonely Gang, Lonely Hearts Club Band. What do we got? Yeah, I remember Maddo talking about train bombs. Yep, back when she didn't suck. I don't remember when that was. That that's our commercial break. Wait, we've got we've got commercial breaks now. To plug the merch, we're gonna plug the merch. I, we we're gonna talk about the merch. All right, we still what stand we with doing? the train workers, man. Man, are they getting screwed over? It's it's so bad. Um, and who's who's looking out for them? Who's right now? Like who's still talking about them and who's still standing up for them? We know they have no friends in Congress. Um, we'll talk about them and we'll offer to have them on our show and talk about what's going on with them and educate more people about what's happening to them and just how much their bosses are making. And we won't stop talking about it because that's what we do. Um, and he never stops talking. So he's got to talk about something. So, and we are going to conduct our protest what? in a van down by the river. That's right. That's right, Eric. That's, that van. is correct. No strike for you. Uh, it's brutal. Yeah. I no mean, strike for you. No strike for you. Yeah. We, we have, a strike Nazi? Oh, uh, well, yes. It's called, his name is Joe Biden. Yes. Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah. My name's Joe Biden. It's Joe Biden. Okay. <clears throat> Next story. So, holy crap. Dick Clarenberg, Gray Zone. Gray Zone EU, by the way. He is, or Gray Zone UK. He's great. Follow him if you're not. He's also on Substack. Hitclarenberg.substack.com. And that's where this came from. It's newsletter. This came across my email a few days ago, or maybe last week, and I was like, um, nobody noticed this. And here's the funny thing is that it's it's actually called 
siphon like with a psi um yeah so what is this beware siphon cia tool fueling global protests like okay so this is a secure and high performance siphon uh, it's a secure and high performance app siphon provides open access to the uncensored internet for millions of people around the world with 150 million plus downloads it's a vpn by the way kit i feel like i'm i don't want to call it siphon i want i, I want to call it Poseidon. is now forever Poseidon. um uh, <laughs> not allowed to call it anything else see what's funny to me spelled it weird is that Poseidon. the first part mm -hmm. of the psi in in psi is like psychological and if you take off the p Yes, it's literally the word siphon, like, like they're going to siphon mm -hmm. your information. Oh, that does not sound like something I want to be part of. Maybe. So, all right. What's he talking about? Ever since foreign back riots broke out in Iran mid September, what? Western news outlets frequently drawn attention to siphon. Of course they have. The free open source smartphone app computer program allows users to circumvent national restrictions on websites and online resources, helping troublemakers organize and coordinate their activities and send and receive messages to and from the outside world. Right? In the process, Siphon, Siphon has received untold amounts of highly influential free advertising. And some Iranians, along with the residents of West Asia more widely, will no doubt have been encouraged to download the software. Right. However, not a single mainstream source has acknowledged Siphon's spectral origins, let alone the malign aims it oh. serves and sinister purposes to which it can be put by its sponsors in the U.S. intel community. Hmm. Spectral. <laughs> oh, he's he so means good. spookies. Siphon was launched in 2009, 2009 avowedly intended to support anti-government elements in countries the, com the company considers, quote, enemies of the Internet. The resource employs a combination of secure communication and obfuscation technologies, including VPNs, web proxies, and secure shell protocols, which is SSH, which allows users to effectively set up their own private servers that own that their own government can't monitor. Hmm. Okay, pause. Enemies of the internet, right? Is like access of evil. They're fighting for the internet now, uh, but yes, but it's also yes, like enemies of the state. Like that's weird. Okay. Right? Over Siphon's lifetime, it's been funded and distributed by a variety of spook-adjacent organizations. For example, it was for several years promoted by ASL-19, funded by Iranian expat Ali Banji in 2019 and 2013 to capitalize on vast U.S. funding flowing to internet freedom initiatives in the Arab Springs wake. And here's a picture of, I've got a picture of Ali yep. Banji later on. 2011, June New York Times probe into Washington's internet freedom push concluded that all these endeavors served to deploy shadow internet and mobile phone systems uh, dissidents can use to communicate outside the reach of governments in countries like Iran, Syria, and Libya. Basically spying operations for us. Mm. Banji's proximity to the U.S. government was made abundantly clear when in 2016 he attended the White House's annual celebration of Nauru's invariably a coming out party for elite state-sponsored regime change activists 
such high-level appearances, along with his status as a permanent fixture at tech conferences and digital rights events, cemented his place as a rock star figure within the Iranian diaspora. Um, 2016, remember who was still in office? His name was Barack. That was not a Trump thing. That was Barack Obama in office then. And there is Ali Banji. Hmm. Banji was nonetheless Indeed. forced to resign from ASL 19 in 2018 after he ended up in court in Canada on charges of sexual assault and forcible imprisonment. Nice guy. A resultant profile in tech industry magazine The Verge alleged that he had fostered a, cu a culture of widespread drug use, sexism, harassment, and bullying within the organization. Sounds like a fun place to work. No. On several mm -hmm. occasions, he was aggressive and even violent towards staff, with female employees a particular target of his ire. Go figure. Whoa. Like Blizzard. With him and ASL-19 out of the picture, in 2019, Siphon began receiving millions from the Open Technology Fund, the OTF, which was created seven years earlier by Radio Free Asia, which in turn was founded by the CIA in 1948. CIA. Following official yeah. authorization to engage in black operations. Actually, at that time, of course, CIA was OSS, I believe. Hmm. This included propaganda, mm -hmm. economic warfare, sabotage, subversion, and... Very similar to OTF. Assistance to underground resistance movements. So they're providing technology to underground dissidents. In 2007, CIA's official website ranked RFA and other psychological warfare initiatives, such as Radio Free Europe and Voice of America, among the longest-running and most successful covert action campaigns it ever mounted. Yes, guys. Voice of America, VOA, radio, internet, everything, CIA-sponsored American propaganda. Straight-up American propaganda. <clears throat> yeah. No. I know. You don't say. Today, Radio Free Asia is an asset of the U.S. Agency for Global Media, which is USAGM, which is funded by the U.S. Congress to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars every year. In August 2018, its CEO acknowledged, quote, the organization's global priorities reflect U.S. national security interests, unquote. Of course they do. OTF was one of the several, was one of the several malign initiatives spun out of the Internet Freedom, out of Internet Freedom. Individuals intimately involved in making this desire a reality are under no illusion as to the true raison d'etre that, that they're serving. Right in 20, February 2015, Jillian York, an OTF advisory board member, stated she fundamentally believed internet freedom was at heart an agenda of regime change. Well, yeah, because if you can control the messaging in and out of the country, and you can block anybody that's questioning any kind of authority out there, yeah, you're going to be able to control narratives and push down uprisings and and uh, get rid of dissidents, which is what they've been doing. Of course, OTF being the brainchild of a U.S. Intel-created psychological warfare platform illuminates a key purpose of Siphon, namely ensuring citizens of countries in the crosshairs of ongoing U.S.-led regime change efforts can continue to access Western state propaganda. Of course. In November 2019, USAGM fact sheet on tools supported by OTF gives top billing to Siphon. So, of course, let's, run, let's everybody run and use it. Signal 2, by the way. So, yeah. 
Examples of tools supported by OTF. And here you go. Here's a list. Any look familiar to you? Ephroid. Yeah. Um, Tor. Snowflake. No script. Uni. Right. So Tor, right. Tor browser. All of these things are supported by OTF. And what does that mean? OTF provides emergency report support to independent media outlets and journalists facing digital attacks to get back online and mitigate future attacks. Over 2 billion people use OTF-supported technology daily. More than two-thirds of all mobile users globally have technology incubated by OTF on their device. I think I have Signal on mine. But other than that, I don't have anything else on mine that, from that list. So, quote, OTF, like I said, provides... That, I think I just read that whole thing. Okay, provides US AGM networks with assistance to protect their content online and ensure it is resistant to censorship. How interesting. For example, when US AGM news sites yep. were abruptly blocked in Pakistan, OTF created mirror sites to ensure to ensure that US AGM content remained available for key audiences. OTF of provides them. Right, of course they did. So they provided a secure intranet. They got around even country blocks and Internet. sensors. OTF provides emergency support to independent media outlets. That's the hilarious. And journalists facing digital attacks to get back online and mitigate future attacks. Independent how? Like when they're supported and paid for by CIA. In May 2020, OTF report yes. on highlights and challenges of the year to date. Likewise notes, veteran circumvention tool provider Siphon ensures U.S. AGM published content, including Voice of America and Farsi, can reach audiences in countries in which it's banned. And there's Siphon's advice on how to access BBC News. Mm. In March, a dedicated section of the BBC website, published following the British state broadcaster's prohibition by Moscow, offered an explanatory guide to how local residents in Russia, you can download the app via Android, Apple, and Windows in English, Russian, and Ukrainian. Siphon was moreover promoted by BBC Press Office's official Twitter account at the same time. There it is. March 4th. I think I published a Substack that day, too. Yep. Right? And there's the advice. Also published March, March 4th in multiple language. Should users find it difficult to access Siphon via established app stores, they were invited to send a blank message to a listed email address to receive a direct and safe download link. From whom, may I ask? My guess it would be somewhere <laughs> residing in Langley or somewhere Jim in at Langley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In Iran, such utility is no doubt similarly invaluable given hostile media such as the BBC and RFA paint. Uh, an utterly one-sided picture of the unfolding unrest, framing violent, incendiary actions by anti-government elements as peaceful, while wholly ignoring large-scale pro-government demonstrations. Another core siphon strength, yep. from the perspective of Western power, is the resource funnels all user data to and through centralized servers owned by, of course, the company itself. While users' activities on the network might be shielded from the prying eyes of their own government. 
Siphon can track what sites they are visiting and their communications in real time. This allows foreign actors to keep an unblinking eye trained on protesters and protest movements and respond accordingly. Hmm. How interesting. So we got the end of this. Siphon's meddling in Iran is now a long-established matter of public record. Back in 2013, the company published a blog hailing the particularly big impact it had made in the country, coinciding with their presidential election. Hmm. How about that? Well, acknowledging yeah. that, that Tehran had always been a big challenge for us, Siphon boasted that its software stayed available consistently during this time, despite repeated attacks to severely throttle its operation. Wow. What? <gasps> Sorry. That none of this background has emerged in any of the con countless fawning mainstream puff pieces on Siphon is shocking, but unsurprising, of course. After all, Western news outlets stand to materially benefit from a U.S.-run protection racket projecting their agitprop to countless millions of people in secret. Right? And in becoming actively complicit in a U.S. regime change operation, mainstream journalists are all less likely to acknowledge the reality of what's happening in Tehran, why and who and what stands to materially benefit from the government's ouster. Yeah. Well... And there's that merch again. Hey, check that out. That looks cool. I ordered a, I ordered a, a beanie. I want to get that zip up hoodie though. Did you? Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Do we put a Do we put a beanie on your circle? I think that's possible. Maybe. Um, I also got the got the how do we miss that shirts for my kids that actually have the uh, Indie Left News circle on the back of them, which is kind of cool. Mm. Anyway, uh, all right. So that is Siphon. So don't download Siphon. Don't put Signal on your phone. They are spying operations for CIA and for Intel, guys. Um, of course, all this stuff is hackable. All the stuff they have backdoor access to if they really want to get into it. But don't make it any easier for them on purpose. That's what I, that's my, that's Indy's little bit of advice for that today. Um, oh, you know what that calls for? Go, go, Gadget Punk. Whoop. Oh, nice. See, the only thing we need left, we, we got to get, we got to get Reef Bong Camp back. So we need, we need, is anybody over on the Rockfin? Guys, rockfin.com slash IND left news. Rockfin.com slash IND left news. We're live there. It's ad free. Did you guys know that? It's ad free over on Rockfin. Uh, there is a premium. We do put some videos up on premium, but they're, by the end of the week, they're all not premium. It's just during the week we give premium access to the people that do pay to be on the platform. It's all ad free, even if it's even if you're there for free. Totally ad free, twenty four seven for every video that you can see. I love that. No other platform does that. Unless you're Roger Meadows, then you got to leave a super chat to watch. Oh, you know, Roger Meadows is a legend, and we love Roger Meadows. Uh, <laughs> and a ringwald yeah. puppies, chocolate, yes, Savvy Sabs. We love Savvy Sabs. Savvy Sabs is amazing. I was messaging with Savvy Sabs about her her analytics stream and her analytics content that she talked about and some of the channels that she was looking at. And I put my two cents in. I think we may end up doing a show together on, or I may do a segment on her show with her about it. Because I certainly will geek out on numbers and Reef listens to me incessantly yeah, talk about that. It's called Egghead Nerds. Hey. Egghead Nerds. Hey, now. What? 
But Anna Ringwald, welcome, welcome to. It's not my fault you got an egghead. You know, that's on you. Well. And Carrie Hess, yes, Carrie Hess, welcome. And Karen says no puppies here. Well, there are puppies because Reese got a puppy. He's got puppers sitting right on mm -hmm. his on his screen, right there, and he's got puppers. I do, I do have a puppers with antlers, no less. No, you know, that's mm -hmm. that's good stuff. The beanies are nice. Thank you, Big Mac Crab. Appreciate that. Um, he he helped design a lot of the stuff here. That is our creative director. Uh, we're going to show some items from the Big Bad Crab store, but check that out. I'm going to drop the link right now so you can actually go and order one of these amazing shirts that we're going to showcase later on. But go to the Big Mac Crab store and get yourself a T-shirt, a Yoel Roth T-shirt, believe it or not. We're going to talk about Twitter files later and Yoel Roth. And mm. Crab made a pretty funny shirt about Yoel Roth letting all the intel agencies in. Hey, guys, come on in. But before we get to that, Indy wrote an article this week. No. All right. And not Indy's articles. So I was going to write an article about ChatGPT or about the Hunter Biden laptop and something. And I decided to use ChatGPT to write this article because the first time I wrote it in Substack, it got blown out and the draft got lost. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to use AI to write this article. Talking about the Hunter Biden laptop and censorship and Twitter, and the Twitter files, and let's see what it spits out. So I decided to do that, and here's what happened. What happened? That just happened. All right, so, hey, chat GPT, write a 250-word article about, like I said, the impact on Twitter files, Hunter Biden laptop, corruption at the highest levels of government, and I've got even more. Mm. Right? Having some fun. And this is, by the way, available at Indie, Indie Media Today. That's our substack. IndieMedia.today is our substack. Try to publish there every day. We did a live stream alert for tonight's show. Link's there. Check it out. Really cool. Love our substack. Having some fun. We decided to get on the chat AI chatbot train. If you haven't heard about ChatGPT AI chatbot sensation, I put a link to the CNET article, which explains what it is. But basically, it's, a, it's an advanced search engine where you ask it to spit out a certain code or produce a certain piece of content based on instructions that you give it. And the more detailed you, you are, the, the better or more accurate an article it can spit out. However, uh, it's free for now. And while it's in testing phase, it's kind of cool. Some say it, would, it could eventually replace human writers, which is scary. All, right, all we did was enter the following exact phrase into the engine verbatim. Well, write a 250-word article about the impact of Twitter File 7, the Hunter Biden laptop, corruption at the highest levels of government, government influence, and overreach in social media and private business. Businesses. Here's what it spit out. And it's pretty amazing that this took about a minute for the engine to write, as well as the clear political bias, in my opinion, shown in this case. We've I've made some edits, both inline and and then afterwards I provide a couple of other notes and comments you know at in summation so this is what chat gpt looks like i basically copy and pasted exactly right in here or wrote wrote exactly what i wanted and it spit out this article and i put it in quotes it says the twitter file 7 also known as the hunter biden laptop scandal refers to a series of ads that occurred in late 2020 involving a laptop 
It says, purportedly belonging to Hunter Biden, the son of then-president-elect Joe Biden, which is also not true. The laptop contained a number of allegedly corrupt documents and emails, I add, and videos with minors performing explicit sexual acts. Including ones that appear, yeah, but those were those were the fake ones, right? That appeared to show no, they implicate uh, Hunter Biden participating in illegal activities such as drug use and influence peddling. The scandal had significant impact on the 2020 presidential election and has continued to reverberate through the political landscape in the United States. That's probably the most accurate sentence they read they, that it wrote. It has led to widespread accusations mm -hmm. of corruption at the highest levels of government and has fueled concerns about we'll government influence and overreach in social media and private businesses. My, my comment is that it, it, should, are. it should absolutely be investigated thoroughly. Many have pointed to the role that social media platforms, particularly Facebook and Twitter, uh, have played in amplifying and, more importantly, suppressing, that's my comment, the controversy, the files were initially circulated on social media. Now they, they said by right wing pundits and personalities. I comment again that plenty of people to the left of Biden shared it initially too, but the initial person to reveal the info to the media publicly was Rudy Giuliani. However, the timeline is going to show why. Rudy. Who claimed that they showed evidence of corruption within my, the Biden family, which the laptop certainly did. Another thing I crossed out that the chatbot spit out was it says that Twitter faced criticism for not taking stronger action to prevent the spread of the files, which many believe to be part of a larger effort to undermine the credibility of the incoming Biden administration. With the revolution, revelation that we're going to read within the Twitter files, that's exactly what the FBI was saying to, to Twitter was the case. But, yes. but they knew for a fact because they had the laptop was an absolute lie and not the case. And I, my comment uh, additionally is that famously Glenn Greenwald resigned from the internet, uh, from the inter from, not the internet, from the intercept over their refusal to publish his story about the laptop in October 2020. Back to the chatbot. And this was actually a pretty good um, paragraph. The controversy has also raised concerns about the role that private businesses play in shaping political discourse. Some have argued that companies like Twitter have too much too much power to shape public opinion, and they should be more transparent about their decision-making processes. Others, my opinion, mm -hmm. authoritarians, have called for greater government regulation of social media platforms, arguing that they've become too influential in shaping public opinion and public outcomes. Which is funny that they're both arguing about the same thing. Because but that's why they want to control them. One, some want to control them, mm -hmm. but right. Overall, the Twitter File 7 scandal has, a, has had a profound impact on political discourse in the United States and has sparked, an ongoing, has sparked ongoing debates about corruption, government influence, and the role of social media in shaping public opinion. It remains to be seen how these issues will be addressed in the coming years, but it's clear they will continue to be a source of contention and controversy. Pretty good article written by, by the bot, although, again, a lot of bias, and here is where my issues lie. Is first of all, the use of the word purportedly to describe the laptop's owner because it's been verified by multiple yep. sources that the laptop was in fact Hunter's, that he dropped it off at the store. There has never been an outright denial of the accusation that the laptop belonged to him in the first place by U.S. Intel officials to our knowledge. They tried to insinuate that somebody might have placed files on the laptop after it was in the possession of the FBI, which is preposterous. 
also referring to Biden as then president-elect because timeline-wise, Biden was still the candidate challenging a sitting president at the time, not then the pre- not the then president-elect. And that makes a big difference as to yeah. why the FBI was suppressing the story, why Twitter and all these social mm-hmm. media platforms did it. They should not have suppressed it more. They should have not have and suppressed, to mention suppressed it at all. XVP as well. Like, even right? if it was in between that zone. Unreal. Dude was a VP. All right. And then, of course, the thing that really drove me crazy was this Twitter face criticism for not taking stronger action to prevent the spread of the files, which many to believe, which many believe to be part of a larger effort to undermine the credibility of the incoming Biden administration. Wait a minute. Interesting that the algorithm didn't mention the much more important free speech issue of suppressing the story to the point of preventing it from being DM between users. Instead, it, pro- it defaulted to a protect the powerful person mentality, ignoring the potential that the accusation of corruption could actually be correct, but that nobody's been allowed to fully investigate it. Also, that Biden had not yet won the election, so to claim that it would undermine the credibility of the incoming administration isn't exactly accurate. It was done as much to sway influence prior to the election to help people decide with all the facts about who the candidates and their families actually were. Even AI bots were inclined to protect the Biden family's perceived name and reputation in spite of a mountain of evidence indicating the the potential for corruption. It's weird. So that was my little experiment with with AI chatbot. Um, I don't know what everybody thinks of chat gpt if you've messed with it if you've heard of it if you've heard people talking about it but i also found this interesting this is the hunter biden timeline where in mid 2019 i don't know how big this is but rudy giuliani uh the doj and the fbi are monitoring his communication in uh, in december of 2019 they subpoenaed the laptop in august of 2020 with no action by the FBI, the laptop repair company provides the hard drive copy to Rudy Giuliani. And six, eight weeks later, on October 11th, Rudy provides the copy of the hard drive to New York Post. FBI alerts Hunter Biden's lawyer um, that repair company retained copy of the laptop, providing it to Giuliani, who gave it to the New York Post. And on October 13th, it gets published, right? On October 14th. But in the meantime... We know that the FBI warned Twitter sending 10 private documents through teleporter about a laptop story. Hmm. And that's when on October 14th, and we're going to again talk about the Hunter Biden laptop story and the Twitter files in the next segment. And hey, look at that merch Hmm. one more time. Uh, I've got to put more merch up there. There are mugs. There are socks. There are other shirts. There are crop top hoodies there are all kinds of different merch it's independentleft.shop by the way i didn't tell anybody where to go for the links you go to independentleft.shop i think it was pretty obvious when we're looking there but there's a lot of links and a lot of text on there i know um there's also you can go to indieleft.com or independentleft.media i think indieleft.com no indieleft.com goes to the news site independentleft.media or indieleft.media that's this one will take you to the link tree and there's merch store embedded in the link tree too. You can get there from the link tree. Mm-hmm. So, what's up, everybody? We're gonna get to Twitter files next. We're nice, 45, 50 minutes in. Good, Anna, Anthony. Good to see you, brother. Hope you had a Merry Christmas in Reno. 
I know that your trucking company had to pay extra because you got stranded there and feel bad that you had to spend it in a hotel kind of drinking. But you were with us. Yeah, come on, chatbot. Get your shit together. That's right, Eric. All right, facts undermine the credibility of our government. in the airports and stuff. Mm. All over the place. I mean, I heard even even the 100 millionaire David Sirota got stuck somewhere and got stuck without a rental car. Oh, my God. The 100 millionaire? Well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a bunch of cash. Yes. Um, I know I feel you. So one hundred million dollars. One hundred million dollars. Uh and our corporate overlords discredit themselves. Yes, one one hundred percent. Thank you. All right. So Twitter files. And we've got a bunch of Twitter files to get to. I know it's gonna be a while. Um stay with me. But we know what this is. And shout out to Greg, Big Mad Crab, at the end of all this, and I put the link in the chat already. But you can get this on a shirt. You can get this on a shirt at the Big Mad Crab Shop. Mm. Hilarious meme. Ah, yes, hello. Come right in to my FBI. And get your shirt here. Right here. Federal get government shirt. family. I'm not really trying to hawk merch on here. Would you like a shirt? Oh, maybe a little bit. Do you find that your chest gets cold? So we start Go with try part shirt. six. So last week we covered parts three, four, and five. And that was about the removal of Trump. And I think about some of the Hunter Biden laptop. We're going to get to more of that. But this was, of course, a pretty spicy one about Twitter file, Twitter, the FBI subsidiary, and the amount of communication going on between FBI and Twitter safety and governance, right? Twitter files were revealing more every day about, and this was already like a week and a half ago. When, when was this? Uh, on the 16th, so 10 days ago. It feels like an eternity since he published this. And when I screen capped it, it had 132,000 likes and over 50 million views. 54.9 million views, to be exact. Twitter files are revealing more every day about how the government collects, analyzes, and flags your social media content. Isn't that nice? Twitter's contact with the FBI was constant, pervasive, as if it were a subsidiary. Between January 2020 and November 2022, there were over 150 emails between the FBI and former Twitter Trust and Safety Chief Yoel Roth, featured in our meme, which you can get at the Big Bad Crab Shop. Some are mundane, like San Francisco agent Elvis Chan wishing Roth a happy new year, along with a reminder to attend our quarterly call next week. Others are requests for information into Twitter users related to active investigations. Am I hearing Tara Reed's name somewhere in there? Maybe? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. But... A surprisingly high mm-hmm. number are requests by the FBI. Under Biden in there. Maybe. For Twitter to take action on election misinformation, even involving joke tweets from low follower accounts. And I don't have every single joke tweet, but the FBI social media focused ta- task force known as FTIF. This is really important. This FTIF group created in the wake of the 2016 election swelled to 80 agents and corresponded with Twitter to identify alleged foreign influence and election tampering of all kinds. Yeah, sure it did. Federal intelligence and law enforcement reached into Twitter, included DHS, which partnered with security contractors and think tanks to pressure Twitter to moderate content. And it's no secret the government analyzes bulk data for all sorts of purposes, everything from tracking terror suspects to making economic forecasts. Twitter files show something new. Agencies like the FBI and DHS 
regularly sending social media content to Twitter through multiple entry points pre-flagged for moderation. What stands mm. out is the sheer quantity and volume of reports from the government. Some are aggregated from public hotlines, which is okay. Expect here. Hold kinda. on. Let me put your propaganda on the refrigerator. Pretty much. <laughs> right. An unanswered yeah. question by Matt Taibbi yeah. is that do agencies like FBI and DHS do in-house flagging work themselves or do they farm it out? You have to prove to me that inside the fucking government, you can do any kind of massive data or AI search, says one former Intel officer. The assumption is, is that it's not being done by humans or manually. But here's an example. Hello, Twitter yeah. contacts. The master canine quality of the FBI's relationship uh, to Twitter comes through in this November 22 email in which FBI San Francisco is notifying you that it wants action on four accounts. And I didn't include the whole email, but it is basically ordering Twitter <laughs> to ban at these. Mad and pissed off. Yes, sorry. mad and pissed off. That's correct. And who is at mad and, and pissed off? They're not going to take it anymore. Right? Twitter personnel, in this case, went on to look for reasons to suspend all four accounts, including at from MA, um, whose tweets are almost all jokes. See the sample below, including his civic misinformation of go vote on Wednesday, November 8th. Uh, on Wednesday, November 9th. He said that on, on election day. I want to remind Republicans to vote tomorrow, yeah. right? And here's the email. I've reviewed this already from the TD perspective and suspended three of the accounts for multi-account abuse and pan evasion violations. Rodrigo, could you please review from MA for possible civic misinformation or direct uh, to the appropriate part of GET for their review? Like Twitter cops, man, literally Twitter cops, Twitter cops, Twitter cops, just to show. <laughs> That the FBI can be hyper intrusive in both directions. That is a pretty good container ship, right? They also asked Twitter to review a blue leaning account for class Claire Foster, who, by the way, of course, was not suspended. Now she said the same thing that I'm a ballot counter. If you're not wearing a mask, I'm not counting your vote. And for every negative comment, I'm adding another vote for the Democrats. Okay, and of course you've got the FBI. They don't play. Anyone who cannot discern obvious satire from reality has no place making decisions for others or working for the feds, said Claire Foster when told about the flagging. Of the six accounts mentioned in the two previous emails, all but two, the, the one that we showed you, and this one, were suspended. So everybody else was suspended, but these two were not. Hilarious. I can't believe the FBI is policing jokes on Twitter. That's crazy. Yeah. In a letter to Deputy General Counsel and a former top FBI uh, lawyer, it's our friend Jim Baker, oh, yeah, yeah. On September 16, 2022, legal exec Stasia Cardiel um, outlines results from her soon-to-be weekly meeting with DHS, DOJ, FBI, and the Office of Director of National Intelligence. Okay, I guess Reese got an audio issue here going on. He's got to plug in. But this Twitter exec writes that she explicitly asked if there were impediments the sharing of classic informa classified information with industry. Um, the answer, FBI was was adamant that no impediments to sharing exist. Number 25, that's really important. Basically, the FBI is allowing the people of Twitter that are allowed to see everything. This passage underscores the unique one big happy family vibe between Twitter and the FBI. Are we back? Yes. Nice. Um, 
With what other firm would the FBI blithely agree to no impediments to classified information? Weird. At the bottom of that letter, she lists a series of escalations apparently raised at the meeting, which were also already handled. About one, she writes, I flagged the specific tweet on Illinois use of modems to transmit election results in possible violation of the civic integrity policy. Except they do use that tech in limited circumstances. It's not limited. And they, uh, ES&S, denied that they even had the modems in the machines. That's the truth. All right. Another internal letter from January 2021 shows Twitter execs processing an FBI list of possible violative content tweets. Right. This is amazing. So in this March 2021 email, an FBI liaison thanks a senior Twitter exec for the chance to speak to you and the team and then delivers a packet of products. Well, what are products? What what products do the FBI produce? Well, the executive circulates the products. Um, Noriega produced good bricks. Right. What? But these are really DHS <laughs> bulletins stressing the need for greater collaboration between law enforcement and private sector partners. Oh, On what? The Russian malign influence use of permissive social, pl- social media platforms, heightened domestic violent extremist threat to persist in 2021, and Iranian influence efforts to primar- primarily use online tools to target U.S. audiences remain easily detectable for now, which is interesting because we just talked about Siphon. Right? How would they know that? Hmm. It's all connected. The ubiquity of the 2016 Russian interference story, as stated pretext for building out the censorship machine, can't be overstated. It's analogous to how 9-11 inspired the expansion of the security state and the creation of the DHS. Right? And then there's a little bit more about their expansion into what they believe is the Russian malign influence use of permissive social media platforms. My guess would be Telegram and the ones that they haven't blocked yet. Mm-hmm. He says, while DHS in its products pans permissive social media for offering operational advantages to Russians, it also explains that the domestic violent extremist threat requires addressing information gaps. Okay, which um, could partially be mitigated with increased collaboration. What, what a surprise between law enforcement terrorism prevention efforts, and private sector partners. We judge these partnerships would improve our ability to detect changes in DVE trends and provide early warning of potential attacks. If you listen to Whitney Webb, and I do, I'm a big fan, she talked about them using January 6th specifically for this reason, domestic talking about mm-hmm. domestic violence and Patriot Act 2.0, spying on American citizens, taking the tactics they had used abroad and applying them domestically. FBI, in one case, sent over so many possible violative content reports. Twitter personnel congratulated each other in Slack for the monumental undertaking of reviewing them. And I don't want to put the Slack messages in there. There were also multiple points of entry into Twitter for government-flagged reports. This letter from Agent Chan to Yoel Roth references Teleporter, which is a platform through which Twitter could receive reports directly from the FBI. And not only that, but what is this? Reports came from different agencies. Here, an employee recommends bouncing content based on evidence from DHS, etc. 
This is government regulating speech now on private platforms. State governments also flag content. Twitter, for instance, received reports via the Partner Support Portal, an outlet created by the Center for Internet Security, a partner organization to the DHS. Why was no action taken? Below Twitter execs receiving an alert from California officials by way of our Partner Support Portal, debate whether to take action on a Trump tweet. Your video was reported by the EIP at Stanford, apparently on the strength of the information from the Center for Internet Security. This is pretty interesting stuff. If that's confusing, it's because the CIS is a DHS contractor and describes itself as partners with the Cyber and Internet Security Agency at the DHS. So they are not a subsidiary, but they're quite friendly with DHS. The EIP is a series of government-affiliated think tanks that mass review content, a list that also includes the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensics Research Laboratory and the University of Washington's Center for Informed Policy. The takeaway, what most people think of as the deep state, quote-unquote, is really a tangled collaboration of state agencies, private contractors, and sometimes state-funded NGOs. The lines become so blurred as to become meaningless. And that's really the first part of part six of the Twitter files. Hey, look at that merch. But there's more to the Twitter files, which was two days later, he published a supplemental, which was that in July of 2020, Elvis Chan tells Yoel Roth to expect written questions from the FITF, like we talked about, the interagency group that deals with cyber threats. Now, these are supposed to be foreign influences. Right. Questionnaire authors uh, seem displeased with Twitter for implying in a July 20th briefing, DHS, ODNI, FBI and industry briefing that you indicated you had not observed much recent activity from official propaganda actors on your platform. Right. And I have this long email, which you can see at the Twitter files. One would think that would be good news. The agencies seem to feel otherwise. So Chan underscore this. There was a big quite a bit of discussion within the USIC, the Intel community, to get clarifications from your company. Um, the task force demanded to know how Twitter came to its unpopular conclusion. Oddly, it included a bibliography of public sources, including a Wall Street Journal article, attesting to the prevalence of foreign threats as if to show Twitter they got it wrong. Roth, who's receiving the report, circulated them with other company execs and complained that he was frankly perplexed by the requests here, which seemed more like something we get from a congressional committee than the Bureau. Yeah. Hmm? Yep. <clears throat> and what's your perspective on how to navigate? He's, he's completely caught in the middle. He added that he wasn't comfortable with the Bureau and by extension the Intel community demanding written answers. The idea of the FBI acting as a conduit for the Intel community is interesting, given that many agencies are barred from domestic operations, like the CIA. He then sent another note internally, saying that the premise of the questions was flawed, because we've been clear that official state propaganda is definitely a thing on Twitter. Note the italics for emphasis. Yeah. Right. Roth suggested that they get on the phone with Elvis ASAP and try to straighten this out, to disabuse the agencies of any notion that state propaganda is not a thing on Twitter. 
Uh, this exchange is odd, among other things, because some of the bibliography materials cited by the FITF are sourced to Intel officials, who in turn cited the public sources. It's like, this reminds me of, of how they tried to convince us to go to war in Iraq. They plant a story in the New York Times, and then they say, well, look, the New York Times published it. It must be true. I thought this one yeah. was pretty interesting. The FBI, of course, responded to Friday's report by saying that it regularly engages with private sector entities to provide information specific to identified foreign malign influence actors subversive, undeclared, covert, or criminal activity. That's a really interesting quote. That may be true, but we haven't seen that in the documents to date. Instead, we've mostly seen requests for moderation involving low follower accounts belonging to ordinary Amer Americans and Billy Baldwin, of all things, for some reason. It's really weird of who they're asking to, to censor, but Billy Baldwin got swept up in all this. Hey, look at that merch. Weird. How many fucking um, merch things you put in? Basically between every store. <laughs> every Twitter Yeah, yeah let's not do that again. Yeah. But then we've got Michael Schellenberger, and he's talking about the Biden, the Hunter laptop, which is exactly kind of how the FBI convinced Yoel Roth and convinced these guys and set up Twitter and Facebook and everybody else to pre-believe that the laptop was going to be fake before the story even came out. Hey, there's going to be a story that's probably going to come out before the election that's going to be some kind of digital something, but it's definitely not real. They already knew okay. that it was real. Yes, Crab says we need marketing. Mm -hmm. You're wrong. All right. No, I'm not. How the FBI and Intel community discredited factual information about Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings both after and before the New York Post revealed the contents of his laptop on October 14, 2020. This one has 96.2 million views and over 166,000 likes. And it's not all right-wingers, guys. I promise you, it's not. In Twitter File 7, we present evidence pointing to an organized effort by representatives of the Intel community aimed at senior executives at news and social media companies to discredit leaked information about Hunter Biden before and after it was published. Dude, this is... This has been... Now, again, we knew that they did this, but now you see the emails. You see the actual influence and how it was done. So that's actually the sign. It says, on December 9th, 2019, the FBI issues a subpoena for and takes possession of Hunter Biden's laptop. This is way before the story comes out. So they knew they had the laptop. They knew what was on it back in December of 2019. By August of 2020, Mac Isaac, who's the owner of the repair shop that, uh, that Hunter dropped the laptop off at, had still not heard back from the FBI, even though he discovered evidence of criminal activity. And so he emails Rudy Giuliani, who was under FBI surveillance at the time. In early October, Giuliani gives it to the New York Post. Shortly before 7 p.m. on the 13th, Hunter's lawyer emails J.P. Matt Isaac. Um, Hunter and Metsiris, uh, that's his lawyer, I believe, had just learned from the New York Post that its story about the laptop would be published the next day. At 9.22 EM, EM Eastern, Elvis Chan, who we've talked about in the last Twitter files, sends 10 documents to Twitter's then head site of integrity, 
head of site integrity, Yoel Roth, through Teleporter. You heard about Teleporter. It's a one-way communications channel from the FBI to Twitter. And the Teleporter is one-way vanishing messages. They, they explode over time. It's almost like go-go gadget. This message will explode, will self-destruct in eight seconds. So the next day on October yes. 14th, New York Post runs its explosive story revealing the business dealings of President's son, the son, uh, of President Joe Biden's son, Hunter. Except, again, he wasn't President Joe Biden then. Every single fact in it was accurate. May I repeat again, every single fact in that article was accurate. And yet within hours, Twitter and other social media companies censored the New York Post article, preventing it from spreading and, more importantly, undermining its credibility in the minds of many Americans. Why is that? What exactly happened? Well, on December 2nd, Matt Taibbi, of course, we covered in the first one, the, described the debate inside Twitter over its decision uh, to censor a wholly accurate article. Since then, we've discovered new info that points to an organized effort by the Intel community to influence Twitter and other platforms, which we're also aware of. But first, and I'm not going to play this video, but I highly encourage everyone to watch it. It's important to understand that Hunter Biden earned tens of millions of dollars in contracts with foreign businesses, including ones linked to China's government, for which Hunter offered no Wait. real work. And there, there's an interview to the big guy, right, by Peter Schweizer. Okay, that's that's in the Twitter files. You can watch it, and you can link to it there. Yet during all of 2020, the FBI and law enforcement agencies repeatedly primed Yoel Roth to dismiss reports of Hunter Biden's laptop as a Russian hack and leak operation. This is from a sworn declaration by Roth given in December 2020, where he's saying that since since 2018, I've had regular meetings with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, and industry peers regarding election security. Why he's testifying, I don't remember exactly, but that's pretty crazy. I think it's during uh, about one of the uh, lawsuits that have been brought against Twitter for censorship. During these weekly meetings, mm -hmm. the federal and law enforcement agencies communicated that they expected hack and leak operations by state actors um, might occur in the period shortly before the 2020 presidential election, likely in October. It's called the October surprise, and everybody knew it was going to happen. I was told in these yeah. meetings that the intel community expected that individuals associated with political campaigns would be subject to hacking attacks, and that material obtained through these hacking attacks would likely be disseminated over social media platforms, including Twitter. These expectations of hacking leak operations were discussed throughout 2020, I also learned in these meetings that there were rumors that a hack and leak operation would involve Hunter Biden. Look at how they set these guys up. Mm -hmm. They did the same to Facebook, according oh, look, to Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. Right. Ah. You know, and he said to Joe Rogan. God, I, oh, bet, I bet he regrets going on Joe. The that. FBI basically came to us and was like, hey, you should be on high alert. We thought there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. There's about to be some kind of dump similar to that. Yeah, they knew it Which because they he had was it. High enough in in, he's also high enough in decision making at Facebook to know that. Mm -hmm. Were the FBI warnings of a Russian hack and like leak operation direct? Well, that's something you kind of have to go right to the, to the head. Um, 
Were mm-hmm. were the FBI warnings of a Russian hack and leak operation relating to Hunter Biden based on any new intel? No, they weren't. Quote, through our investigations, we did not see any similar competing intrusions to what had happened in 2016, admitted FBI agent Elvis Chan in November. Yep. Indeed, Twitter executives repeatedly reported very little Russian activity. E.g., on September 24th, 2020, Twitter told FBI it had removed 345 largely inactive accounts linked to previous coordinated Russian hacking attempts. They had little reach and low follower accounts. In fact, Twitter debunked false claims by journalists of foreign influence on its platform. Quote, we haven't seen evidence to support that claim by one underscore NBC news of foreign control bots. Our review thus far shows a small-scale domestic troll effort. After FBI asked WAPO about uh, asked about a WAPO story on alleged foreign influence in a pro-Trump tweet, Twitter's Roth says, quote, The article makes a lot of insinuations, but we saw no evidence that was the case here. In fact, a lot of strong evidence pointing in the other direction. Yeah, thanks, Yoel. And it's not the first time that Twitter's Roth mm-hmm. has pushed back against the FBI, and he should. In January 2020, Roth resisted FBI efforts to get Twitter to share data outside the normal search warrant process. FBI, ACAB, guys, ACAB, FBI too. Pressure had been growing. We've seen a sustained, if uncoordinated, effort by the IC to push us to share more info and change our API policies. And I think they did. They're probing and pushing everywhere they can, including by whispering to congressional staff. Time and again, FBI asked Twitter for evidence of foreign influence, and Twitter responds that they aren't finding anything worth reporting. Again, quote, we haven't yet identified activity that we typically refer to you or even flag as interesting to the foreign influence context. However, despite Twitter's pushback, the FBI repeatedly requests information from Twitter that Twitter has already made clear it will not share outside of normal legal channels. Then in July of 2020, the FBI's Elvis Chan arranges for temporary top-secret security clearances for Twitter executives so that the FBI can share information about threats to the upcoming elections with these Twitter execs. On August 11, 2020, the FBI's Chan shares information with Twitter's Roth relating to the Russian hacking organization APT28 through the FBI's secure one-way communications channel teleporter. Recently, Yoel Roth told Kara Swisher that he had been primed to think about the Russian hacking group APT28 before news of the Hunter Biden laptop came out. When it did, Roth said, Quote, it set off every single one of my finely tuned APT28 hack and leap campaign alarm bells. Yeah, they knew it was coming from mm. there because they had the laptop and they knew exactly how they were going to come at them. And they were surveilling Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. So they knew exactly what Rudy, Rudy's plan was. In August of 2020, FBI's Chan asked Twitter, does anyone there have top secret clearance? This is what gets really weird. When someone mentioned Jim Baker, Chan responds, I don't know how I forgot him, which is an odd claim, given that Chan's job is to monitor Twitter, not to mention that they work together at the FBI. Who's Jim Baker? This is important. Now, we've talked about Jim Baker. I think we talked about him in the first 
Twitter files. He's the guy that ended up getting fired, and he he's the one that Elon, quote-unquote, forgot to fire or somehow didn't fire when he first took over that had access to the Twitter files and vetted them before they were handed over. What they de- what he deleted mm-hmm. still, nobody's released, nobody's talked about if he made any adjustments and what he had access to. That still hasn't come out yet. Of so why? Course. Who's Jim Baker? Oh, he's just the former general counsel of the FBI for four years, both during Obama and the Trump years. And he's one of the most powerful men in the U.S. intel community. Eh, no big deal. Baker has moved in and out of government for 30 years, serving stints at CNN, Bridgewater Capital, and the Brookings Institute. So think tanks, big, you know, big hedge funds. As general counsel of the FBI, Baker played a central role in making the case internally for an investigation of Donald Trump. And Baker wasn't the only senior FBI exec involved in the Trump investigation to go to Twitter. Dawn Burton, who's the former Department of Chief of Staff to FBI head James Comey, who initiated the investigation of Trump, joined Twitter in 2019 as Director of Strategy. As of 2020, there were so many former FBI employees, BU alumni or BOO alumni, working at Twitter that they created their own private Slack channel and a crib sheet to onboard new FBI arrivals. And here's one to Jim Mm. Baker. Hey, Jim, so excited you're here. I'm no longer the newest Boo alum from Matthew Williams. Here's a Boo to Twitter translation chart I mentioned. So literally, like, for all the different um, offices, climate survey, intranet homepage, team topic sites. It used to be FBI SharePoint sites. Now Twitter uses Confluence. These are the different programs that you use. Expense tool was trip for the Bureau. Now it's Concur. Personnel tool, you were using EPA and HR source. Now you're using Workday. 401k and what you use to access all your different programs, similar to how you were using it at the bureau. Thanks so much. Here's a send that to the Vanguard. (laughs) 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 Efforts Mm -hmm. continued to influence Twitter's Yoel Roth. Seems like they just targeted this guy, and I feel bad for him in a way. But at the same time, look, he knew what he was, where he was, and what job he had, and he continued to do it. In September 2020, Roth participated in an Aspen Institute tabletop exercise and a potential hack-and-dump operation relating to Hunter Biden. Hmm, how interesting. The goal was to shape how the media covered it and how social media carried it. So wait a minute. Four weeks, not even four weeks before, but weeks before the Hunter Biden laptop came out, the Aspen Institute literally held a conference where they Game planned out what would happen if Hunter if a Hunter Biden laptop came out. And nobody thought it was weird. That sounds like right. what was a South Park episode. Right. The organizer was the Vivian Schiller. <laughs> right. The organizer was Vivian Schiller, mm-hmm. who's the former CEO of NPR, former head of news at Twitter. Nice polite Republicans. Former general manager of the New York Times and former chief digital officer at NBC News, steeped in mainstream media and government connections, basically. Attendees included Meta or Facebook's head of security policy and the top national security reporters for the Times, WAPO, and others. In mid-September 2020, Chan and Roth had set up an encrypted messaging network so employees from FBI and Twitter could communicate. They also agreed to create a virtual war room for all the internet industry all right. plus FBI and ODNI uh, traffic. Yeah, on- you probably... 
Because you probably shouldn't call it the virtual war room. We probably yeah, that's, shouldn't call it the war room. That's probably a bad idea. There's, but then... There's on, no there's no laughing in the war room. No. So Fighting on, in the war room, that's it. On September 15th, 2020, the FBI's Laura Demlo, who heads up the Foreign Influence Task Force, and Elvis Chan request to give a classified briefing for Jim Baker without any other Twitter staff, such as Yoel Roth, present. Mm, that's a little weird. On October 14th, shortly mm -hmm. after the Post publishes its Hunter Biden laptop story, Roth says it isn't clearly violative of our hacked materials policy, nor is it clearly in violation of anything else, but adds, this feels a lot like a somewhat subtle leak operation. I wonder why, because they primed you to think that way. In response to Roth, Baker repeatedly yeah. insists that the Hunter Biden materials were either fake, hacked, or both, and a violation of Twitter policy. And he does so over email and in a Google mm -hmm. Doc on October 14th and 15th. Of course, he's the guy that the FBI put there to censor the freaking thing. And yet it's inconceivable yes. that Baker believed the Hunter Biden emails were either fake or hacked. Right, I had to do that. The New York Post had included a picture of the receipt signed by Hunter Biden and an FBI subpoena showed that the agency had taken possession of the laptop in December of 2019. My screen just went black. Okay. As for the FBI, it would have taken a few hours for it to confirm that the laptop had belonged to Hunter. Indeed, it only took a few days for Peter Schweizer, journalist, to prove it. By 10 a.m., Twitter execs had bought into a wild hack and dump story. The suggestion from experts, which rings true, quote unquote, is that there was a hack that happened separately and they loaded the hacked materials on the laptop that magically appeared at a repair shop in Delaware. Uh-huh. Right. At 3.38 p.m. Yep. <laughs> this, is, this is the cover story they're putting out. At 3.38 p.m. on the same okay. day, October 14th, Baker arranges a phone conversation with Matthew J. Perry, not from the show Friends, in the Office of the General Counsel from the FBI. The influence operation persuaded Twitter execs that the Hunter Biden laptop did not come from a whistleblower. Once linked to a hill, one link to a Hill article based on a WAPO article from October 15th, which falsely suggested that Giuliani's leak of the laptop had something to do with Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. There is evidence that FBI agents mm -hmm. have warned elected officials of foreign influence with the primary goal of leaking the information to the news media. This is a political dirty trick used to create the perception of impropriety. In 2020, the FBI gave a briefing to Senator Chuck Grassley and Johnson claiming um, evidence of Russian interference into their investigation of Hunter Biden. Uh, the briefing angered mm. the senators who say it was done to discredit their investigation. I guess it was. But the unnecessary FBI briefing provided the Democrats and liberal media the vehicle to spread their false narrative that our work advanced Russian disinformation. Uh-huh. Notably, then-FBI General Counsel Jim Baker was investigated not once but twice in 2017 and again in 2019 for what? Leaking information to the news media. Yep. For real. This is the guy that went to go work at Twitter as their general counsel. You're saying he's under criminal investigation? Yep. That's why you're not letting him answer, Meadowith? Yes. In the mm. end, the FBI's influence campaign aimed at executives at news media, Twitter, and other social media companies worked. They censored and discredited the Hunter Biden laptop story. 
By December 2020, Baker and his colleagues even sent a note of thanks to the FBI for its work. The FBI's influence campaign may have been helped by the fact that it was paying Twitter millions of dollars for its staff time. Yeah. Yep. Insult to injury, quote, I'm happy to report that we've collected more than almost $3.5 million since October 2019, reports an associate of Jim Baker in early 2021. And the pressure from FBI on social media platforms continues. In, a, in just this August, Twitter execs prepared for a meeting with the FBI, whose goal was, quote, to convince us to produce even more FBI EDRs. What are EDRs? Emergency Disclosure Requests, which is a warrantless search. Yeah. In, in response to the Twitter files revelation of this, of high-level FBI agents at Twitter, Jim Jordan, who we're no big fans of, says that he has concerns over whether the government was running a misinformation operation on We the People. Yeah, I'm worried about whether you were running a misinformation for the coach that you were assistant coaches with at Ohio State, Jim Jordan. But yes, I agree with you. Anyone who reads the Twitter files, regardless of their political orientation, should share these concerns. Yes, Michael Schellenberger. But we should also investigate Jim Jordan. Hey, look at that. All right. Fucking Jesus Christ. Part eight. God, I forgot we were you go. I told you we were go gonna ahead. we're gonna be here a little while, but this one's short. And it and it's here's here's the thing. All right, let's go back. Two shot for a minute. Part eight. We're gonna start in a minute. I got a big problem with part eight. I got a big problem with something that happened in part five, I believe it was, last week, where we talked about Barry Weiss mentioning Alexei Navalny. That was my first indication that this has some type of oversight or overseeing of the Intel community and that this is all being allowed to be out. And that we're also, of course, being there's got to be a trove of material that is not being let out that we're still having hidden from us. Thank you so much, Elon. Don't think for one second that we're getting all of this. We're definitely not there. I, I'm dying to see what's actually, you know, mm -hmm. being hidden. But we do know that the COVID mm -hmm. files, of course, came out today. We're not going to get to the COVID files today, but we are going to get to this one, and we're going to go get to nine, and then we'll and then we'll stop tonight, and we'll get to to boats. But this this is crazy. Um, this Lee Fang thing. So, Twitter files eight. How Twitter quietly aided the Pentagon's covert online psyop campaign. It just gets better and better. Despite promises to shut down covert state-run propaganda networks, Twitter docs show that the social media giant directly assisted the U.S. military's influence operations. No shock there. Why is my my screen flickering? I don't know. Ah! Uh-oh. Twitter has claimed for years they made concerted efforts to detect and thwart government-backed platform manipulation Here's Twitter testifying to Congress about its pledge to rapidly identify and shut down all state-backed covert information operations and deceptive propaganda. But behind the scenes, Twitter gave approval and special protection to the U.S. military's online PSYOP programs. Despite knowledge that Pentagon propaganda accounts used covert identities, Twitter did not suspend many for around two years or more, and some still remain active. In 2017, a CENTCOM official sent Twitter a list of 52 Arab language accounts that we use to amplify certain messages. The official asked for priority service for six accounts, verification for one, 
and whitelist abilities for the others. Yes, this is unreal. The same day CENTCOM sent the list, Twitter officials used a tool to grant a special whitelist tag. Remember we talked about how Twitter could censor certain accounts, how they could boost others? This is what they're talking about. A special whitelist tag that essentially but didn't provides... didn't call it a whitelist? Yeah, well... Like they couldn't call it a whitelist because... They white... called it approved list, right, or like... Um, yeah, right. Because of, because of the colored notation, right? Yes. The, the same day, okay, that Twitter officials used a, a tool to grant a special whitelist tag that essentially provides verification status to the accounts without the blue check, meaning that they're exempt from spam and abuse flags, more visible and likely to trend on hashtags. That's the boost. The CENTCOM accounts on on the listed tweeted on the list tweeted frequently about U.S. military priorities in the Middle East, including promoting anti-Iran messages, promotion of the Saudi-U.S.-backed war in Yemen, and accurate U.S. drone strikes that claim to only hit terrorists. How are there any promotion of the Saudi-U.S.-backed war in, in Yemen? I want to see what messages are that actually promote that and act like it's a good thing that we're behind that. CENTCOM then shifted strategies and deleted disclosures of ties to the Twitter accounts. The bios of these accounts changed to seemingly organic profiles. One bio read Euphrates Pulse. Another used an apparent deepfake profile pic and claimed to be a source of Iraqi opinion. One Twitter official who spoke to me said he feels deceived by the covert shift. Still many emails from throughout 2020 show that even high-level exec Twitter executives were well aware of DOD's vast network of fake accounts and covert propaganda and didn't suspend the accounts. Of course they didn't. For example, Twitter lawyer Jim Baker mused in a July 2020 mm. email about an upcoming DOD meeting that the Pentagon used poor tradecraft in setting up its network and were seeking strategies for not exposing the accounts that are linked to each other or to the DOD or the USG. Wow. Again, here's our friend Stasia Cardi. Cardiel, another Twitter attorney, replied that the Pentagon wanted an SCIF and may want uh, to retroactively classify its social media activities to obfuscate their activity in this space, and that this may represent an overclassification to avoid embarrassment. Wow, this is just rank stupidity. In several other 2020 emails, high-level Twitter executives and lawyers discussed the covert network and even recirculated the 2017 list from CENTCOM and shared another list of 157 undisclosed Pentagon accounts, again, mainly focused on Middle East military issues. And in a May 2020 email, Twitter's Lisa Roman emails the DOD with two lists. One list was accounts previously provided to us, and another list that, that Twitter detected um, the accounts tweeted in Russian and Arabic on U.S. military issues in Syria, ISIS, and many also did not disclose Pentagon ties. What a surprise! Many of these secretive U.S. military propaganda accounts, despite detection by Twitter as late as 2020, but potentially earlier, continued tweeting through this year, some not suspended until May 2022 or later, according to records reviewed by Lee Fang. In August 2022, Stanford Internet Observatory report exposed the U.S. military covert propaganda network on Facebook, Telegram, and Twitter, and other apps using fake news portals and 
deepfake images and memes against U.S. foreign adversaries. I think Ellen McLeod also had some of that. The U.S. propaganda network relentlessly pushed narratives against Russia, China, and other foreign countries. We know about this. They accused Iran of threatening Iraq's water security and flooding the, the country with crystal meth and harvesting the, the organs of Afghan refugees. God, awful. The Stanford report did not identify mm -hmm. all the accounts of the network. The one they did name was the exact same Twitter account that CENTCOM asked for whitelist privileges in its 2017 email. How interesting. One Twitter account. Interesting connection. Lee Fang verified via Twitter's internal tools the account used an AI-created deepfake images. Uh, we need... Yep. Who are these people? That's right. Who are these people? They're not real. In, a su in subsequent reporting, Twitter was cast as an unbiased hero for removing, quote, a network of fake user accounts promoting pro-Western policy positions. Media covered the story described Twitter as evenly applying its policies and proactive in suspending the DOD network, which, of course, the reality is much more murky. Twitter actively assisted CENTCOM's network going back to 2017, and his latest 2020 knew these accounts were covert and designed to deceive and manipulate the discourse, a violation of Twitter's policies and promises they waited years to suspend. Twitter's comms team, of course, was closely in touch with reporters, working to minimize Twitter's role. When WAPO reported on the scandal, Twitter officials congratulated each other because the story didn't mention any Twitter employees and largely focused on the Pentagon. Conduct with the U.S. military's covert network stands in stark contrast with how Twitter has boasted about rapidly identifying and taking down covert accounts tied to state-backed influence operations, including Thailand, Russia, Venezuela, and others since 2016, except the United States. And there's a reported piece with more detail. Given more access to Twitter for a few days, he signed and agreed to nothing. Twitter had no input into anything he wrote. The searches were carried out by a Twitter attorney. So what he saw could still be limited. Okay, and this was published in The Intercept, which I'm not a big fan of. And Lee Fang started a Substack. Even Glenn Greenwald has said that of anybody that was left at The Intercept, Lee Fang was one of the better ones. But He's still working for The Intercept, and they're buddies with Bellingcat. So this whole thing to me is suspect. Ew, gross. This entire yes. Lee Fang portion, this, this entire Internet Intercept printed portion, the entire Barry Weiss printed portion, I've got questions about the integrity of it to begin with. Others may not. I personally do, and I'm allowed to. Mm -hmm. Hey, look at that. I'm going to skip. Not. This one is the biggest. This is where the CIA gets involved. And we absolutely are sure other government agencies, according to John Kiriakou and according to John, um, who, am I, who am I thinking of? Not Pilger, um, uh, Ray McGovern, legend. He's absolutely convinced that, that, that these are um, CIA. So here's the last of it. and We're going to get through it and then we're done. After weeks of Twitter files reports detailing close coordination between the FBI and Twitter, Moderating social media content, the Bureau issued a statement Wednesday. We, we knew this. It didn't refute allegations. Instead, mm -hmm. it decried conspiracy theorists publishing misinformation whose sole aim is to discredit the agency. They must think us unambitious for if our sole aim is to discredit the FBI. After all, 
a whole range of government agencies discredit themselves in the Twitter files. Why stop with one? That was like Carlin-esque. The, the files show the FBI acting as a doorman to a vast program of social media surveillance and censorship encompassing agencies across the federal government, from the State Department to the Pentagon to the CIA. The operation is far bigger than the reported 80 members of the FITF, which we talked about earlier, which also facilitates requests from a wide, ar wide array of smaller actors, from local cops to media to state governments. Twitter had so much contact with so many agencies that executives lost track. Is today the DOD and tomorrow the FBI? Is it the weekly call or the <laughs> monthly call? It was dizzying. Mm -hmm. right. Chief end result was that thousands of official quote-unquote reports flowed to Twitter from all over through the FITF and the FBI's San Francisco field office. We know about Elvis Chan. On June 29, 2020, he wrote a to a pair of Twitter execs asking if he could invite an OGA to an upcoming conference. OGA or other government agency organization or other government agency. Damn. Right? Can be euphemism for CIA, according to multiple former Intel officials and contractors. Chuckles one. They think it's mysterious, but it's just conspicuous. Uh, Ray McGovern says, other government agency, the place where I worked for 27 years. Retired CIA officer Ray McGovern. It was an open secret. Ray McGovern, that, yeah. Right. It was an open secret at Twitter that one of its executives was ex-CIA, which is why Chan referred to that executive's former employer. First Twitter executive abandoned any pretense to stealth and emailed that the employee used to work for CIA. So that's Elvis's question. CIA, hmm. uh, I'm sorry, senior legal executive Stasia Cardiel, who keeps coming up, whose alertness stood out among Twitter leaders, replied, I know, and I thought my silence was understood. She then, she then passes on conference details to recently hired ex-FBI lawyer Jim Baker. But I invited mm -hmm. the FBI and CIA virtually, uh, and the CIA virtually will attend too, she says to Baker, adding pointedly, no need for you like to attend. Like they don't do that already. Right. No need for you to attend. I love that. The CIA virtually attend everything. Because huh? they're listening all the time. <laughs> the government. Yeah, they're like Jesus. Okay, number 16. <laughs> the government was in constant contact, not just with Twitter, but with virtually every major tech firm. These included Facebook, Microsoft, Verizon, Reddit, even Pinterest. Pinterest? And many others. Mm -hmm. Industry players also held regular meetings without government. One of the most common forums was a regular meeting of the multi-agency FITF attended by spates of executives, FBI personnel, and nearly always one or two attendees marked OGA. Mysterious. Hmm. And there's one of the emails that's sent out to everybody uh, classifying them literally as OGA. Oh, I missed something there. Uh, the FITF meeting agenda is virtually always included at or near the beginning an OGA, brie OGA briefing, usually about foreign matters. Hold that thought. Despite its official remit being foreign influence, the FITF and San Francisco FBI office became conduit for mountains of domestic moderation requests from state governments, even local police. Many requests involved via, uh, were arrived via teleporter, like we talked about, a one-way platform in which many communications were timed to vanish especially as the election approached in 2020 
the FITF FBI overwhelmed Twitter with requests, sending lists of hundreds of problems account, problem accounts. We knew this. Email after email came from the San Francisco office heading into the election, often adorned with an Excel attachment. There were so many government requests, Twitter employees had to improvise a system for prioritizing and triaging them. And the FBI mm -hmm. was clearly tailoring searches to Twitter's policies. FBI complaints were almost always depicted somewhere as possible terms of service violation, even in the subject line, which was weird. They, they show an, an email from Elvis Chan to Yoel Roth with it. Twitter executives even mm. noticed that the FBI appeared to be assigning personnel to look for Twitter violations. Like I said, Twitter cops. Quote, they have some folks in the Baltimore field office and at HQ that are just doing keyword searches for violations. This is probably the 10th request I've dealt with in the last five days, remarked Stasia. Uh, and, and she's saying this to Jim Baker. And of course he knew this. Even ex-FBI even ex lawyer Jim Baker agreed. Odd that they're searching for violations of our policies. Yeah, sure. Sure, it's odd. Uh, the New York FBI office even sent requests for the user IDs and handles of a long list of accounts named in a Daily Beast article. I think Max Blumenthal and some others, senior executives say they are supportive and completely comfortable doing so. It seemed to strike no one as strange that a foreign-influenced task force was forwarding thousands of mostly domestic reports, along with DHS, about the fringiest material. Foreign meddling had been the ostensible justification for expanded moderation since, since platforms like Twitter were dragged onto the Hill by the Senate in 2017. Yet behind the scenes, Twitter execs struggled against government claims of foreign influence supposedly occurring on their platform and others. Yeah. Twitter files show execs under constant pressure to validate theories of foreign influence and unable to find evidence for key assertions. Basically, they're making up the crimes, which never happened. Twitter's saying they didn't find them, and they're like, no, you have to look for them. You have to find them. Found no links to Russia, says one analyst, but suggests he could brainstorm to Find a stronger connection. And what he's talking about is, mm. after, I, after I reviewed the accounts, found no links to Russia, I asked blank so-and-so on this ticket. This was his answer. Thanks for tagging in the workflow. From my checks, I couldn't find any indicators to suggest that the account is Russian. Even the other phone-linked accounts doesn't have indicators to, su to suggest it's a Russian proxy. Did checks of, of via domain tools for IP resolves and email checks for OSINT. However, going by the content and narrative coming from the account is definitely pro-Russian or could and or could be a Russian proxy. I can brainstorm with so-and-so and see if we can dig even deeper and find a stronger connection. They're now inventing Russians. Extremely tenuous circumstantial evidence of being related, says another. No real matches using the info, says Yoel Roth in another case, noting some links were clearly Russian but another was a house rental in South Carolina? In another case, Roth concludes a series of Venezuelan pro-Maduro accounts are unrelated to Russia's Internet Research Agency because they're too high volume. It's really weird. Like, they're trying to pin this on everybody that's anywhere remotely. Uh, look, it's Venezuelans who are connected to the Russians. It's always Russians. 
The Venezuelans were extremely high-volume tweeters, pretty uncharacteristic of a lot of the other IRA activity, which is what Roth said and identified. In a key email, news that the State Department was making a wobbly public assertion of Russian influence led an exec, the same one with the OGA pass, to make a damning admission. Quote, Due to a lack of technical evidence on our end, I've generally left it be, waiting for more evidence, he says. Our window on that is closing, given that the government partners are becoming more aggressive on attribution. I'm going to go ahead with suspension and mark the domain as unsafe. That's what he says in the in the email here. Rebel Inside was a new one for me, too. Not even sure what the goal of the account what could possibly be, other than to highlight unrest in other areas of the world besides Russia. I've already suspended it because and marked its domain as unsafe. Like, again, Twitter cops. Translation, more aggressive government partners had closed Twitter's window of independence. Other government agencies ended up sharing intelligence through the FBI and FITF, not just with Twitter, but with Yahoo, Twitch, Cloudflare, LinkedIn, even Wikimedia. Yes, Wikipedia, which we know has been editing the Gray Zones page and other lefty and anti-imperialist pages, and they're in bed with the intel state. Former CIA agent and whistleblower John Kiriakou believes he recognizes the formatting of these reports. He says, it looks right on to me, noting that what was cut off above the tear line was originating the originating CIA office and all the copied offices. Many people wonder if internet platforms receive direction from intel agencies about moderation, policy, foreign policy news stories. It appears Twitter did, in some cases, by way of the FITF and FBI. These reports are far more factually controversial than their domestic counterparts. And this one I know Max Blumenthal even shared. One Intel report lists accounts tied to Ukraine neo-Nazi propaganda, except it's not propaganda, it's real. This includes assertions that Joe Biden helped orchestrate a coup in 2014, no Victoria Newland did, and put his son on the board of Burisma. Somebody put him on the board of Burisma, unqualified. Another report asserts... Just hold on. One until list accounts tied to Ukraine neo-Nazi propaganda. Okay, so yeah, they the Maidan coup, they fucking... Gotcha. Right. Okay. Right, they're denying that Maidan happened. They're denying mm-hmm. any of it. And they're, they're saying that Biden had nothing to do with it. And that just the opposite. He was trying to prevent that, which we know. You know, he had to, had to hunt to get the gig. Another report asserts a list of accounts accusing the Biden administration of corruption in vaccine distribution are, again, part of a, of course, Russian influence campaign. They're constantly priming all these intel agencies to be anti-Russian. How about the fact that they're spying on behalf of the U.S. government on every other foreign government in the world? Nobody's even mentioning that. Like, it's just became, like, Twitter is a global company, but yet they are basically a tool of the U.S. intel community. Often intelligence came in the form of brief reports, followed by long lists of accounts simply deemed to be pro-Maduro, pro-Cuba, pro-Russia, etc. This one batch had over a thousand accounts marked for digital execution. I'm sure some of our friends were in there because the uh, tragedy of Donbass, DonbassTragedy.info, a website documenting the purported human rights abuses committed by Ukrainians since 2014 is directed by GRU, Russian Intel. 
Oh, that wasn't really happening. Hmm. Okay. Intel about the what shady. Go back. Yeah, go ahead. Go back. Um, I'm trying to remember what, what was it called. Go back one more. Um, I must have missed it. Um, they, they, you said a thing. Talking about no, this. One more. Go the other way. The other way. Um. Documenting purported, yeah. Again, this is this is the the website tragedy of Donbass. Donbass tragedy dot info. The tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise. That's that's what caught my. What was it? So the tragedy of the Donbass. Often, Intel reports are just long lists of newspapers, tweets, or YouTube videos guilty of anti-Ukraine narratives. That's definitely us. Definitely gray zone. Definitely mm. everybody in the indie media awards. Sometimes and not only. Twitter and YouTube block the accounts, but now we know for sure what Roth meant by the Bureau and by extension, the IC. He wasn't just dealing with the Bureau. The line between misinformation and what distorting the propaganda BAM is again? thin. The what? I forget. The BAM? B-A-M? Uh, no. A minute ago. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Um... The line between misinformation and distorting propaganda, this is it, is thin. Are we comfortable with so many companies receiving so many reports from a more aggressive government and other government agencies, by the way? The CIA has yet to comment on the nature mm. of its relationship to tech companies like Twitter, nor will it ever. Twitter had no input into anything I did or wrote. Searches were carried out by third parties, so what I saw could be limited. Same thing, Matt, Matt Taibbi. All right, I'm exhausted. I'm done talking. But I wanted to show this. Under the first, and this was published uh, the other gotcha. night. Never mind. Yeah. Un, under the First Amendment, government cannot work with tech companies to censor people for expressing disfavored viewpoints. It's important to correct the common misconception that has been percolating, as has become apparent to her, Jenin Yoon's, who's lefty lockdowns one, through a, through a number of conversations. First of all, government coercing and pressuring private companies to engage in viewpoint discriminatory censorship is obviously First Amendment violative. The government cannot threaten private entities so as to accomplish what it can't directly. That tech companies are operating under duress is obvious, given public statements from officials such as Jen Psaki, Vivek Murthy, and Biden himself. They're killing people. We will hold them accountable. Given the power imbalance, these threats are inherently coercive. We also know the companies operated under pressure from internal Twitter emails, such as those exposed by Alex Berenson's lawsuit and exchanges between Murthy and Facebook executives. Um, claim that companies want to help government falls flat in these circumstances. However, assuming for the sake of argument that it's consensual, it's still unlawful under the First Amendment. The government cannot outsource what would be unconstitutional conduct to non-government actors. That should be obvious, but appears to be so too disturbingly few. The government cannot hire a private company to search your home without probable cause and a warrant. Likewise, government shouldn't be able to pay, persuade, or collude with private companies to engage in conduct that is a First Amendment violation when performed by the government. All right. 
<clears throat> and before we sign off, shout out to Big Mad Crab. Go check out his store. And here's his Twitter files hoodie, pullover hoodie with Elon's face and his angry bird. And finally, here's the Yoel Roth Twitter HQ meme shirt. $28.99 long sleeve. Get in a bunch of different colors. Maybe even purple for Yoel. Man, I've seen some Yoel Roth tweets and some pictures of Yoel Roth I wish I had not seen. Let's just leave it at that. You know who we didn't hear from in in this set? Uh, Vijaya. Vijaya, watch your mouth. This is a f oh, thank goodness. You know? Yep. No We're Vijaya. fucked. That, that, that is the resounding, oh. uh, overwhelming thought um by the way so that is the link to big mad crab store that weird terrible link um he's got to work on getting a some kind of better name than that at least big mad crab dot spring dot com or something come on man let's work on that and then of course all the merch that i was showing earlier can be obtained at independentleft.shop and that link is right here in the chat so independentleft.shop check that out too go buy some merch all right Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm spent. Um, yeah, the okay. exact definition of fascism, violation of the First Amendment. You bet, you bet, Anthony. All right, Iowa Blackbird, CIA can do all these things at will. They've actually done these things in in the USA, outside the USA for years. Yeah, we know. Everybody knows. We we know this. And again, Whitney Webb was pretty instrumental in turning, in uh, in, in turning this over. Uh, thank you, Iowa Blackbird. I appreciate you being here, and you can certainly go back. And we're going to cut all these up into segments, too. Um, buy, bam, buy me a coffee. Oh, no, that's not it. That's pretty funny. Well, yeah, Wikipedia is poo-poo now. Agreed, but they've always been poo-poo. Cynic, good, good to see you. Glad you could make it tonight. Yep. Come on, go tomorrow night. In in if you haven't already. Yeah, if you are Indie not News. subscribed Network. to Indie News Network on YouTube and on Rockfin everywhere else, please do. Uh, tomorrow night on Indie News Network will be me and Jesse at 10 p.m. Eastern doing American Tradition. On Wednesday night, mm. Extra Booya, Uncle Warren, is going to have Fiorella live from Moscow. I think that's at 7 Eastern. And then 7. And then, then after that at 9, we're going to have pre-recorded tomorrow, INN News with the lovely Lord Fauntleroy himself, Jay Buffon. JB will be joining... So, that should be fun. We'll be joining Reef and Colin for INN News. And I know yeah. that Uncle Warren will be doing a New Year's Eve show. Or I think it's New Year's Eve. Um, and then, yeah. wow. Um, so I'm also going to be releasing our uh, first two episodes of Indies Tech Tips. I don't know how often I'm going to be doing them, but I do have a lot of uh, of ideas and some things that I use on the, all these platforms to get the most out of it. And I think other people can benefit and they'll like it. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I may even, I started another channel on rumble for it. I don't know if I'm going to start another YouTube channel. I kind of like to get the views on my channel for it for now, but if it becomes a thing, I think, Eastern time. I think we'll make it a, uh, we'll make it a, its own channel at some point and put it under the INN umbrella. Um, again, I will make yep. one more, a uh, plea for everybody to go to the Big Bad Crab store and go order yourself a Yoel Roth t-shirt. There's the link. 
as well as getting yourself a bong father shirt or you can get yourself an indie knit hat beanie or ton of other stuff um wind is violently shaking anthony malecki's truck please be safe out there anthony take care of yourself we love you man yeah dude um yeah and i wish everybody again merry christmas happy new year this was a surprise episode we didn't expect merry to do christmas. but so much happening um maybe we'll do it next monday i doubt it but <clears throat> maybe stay tuned it's not yeah i know you reef but, always opts for not but uh in the yes. immortal words of if we, have, of, if we even think about no <clears throat> I, I i would say to keep questioning everybody's motivations and uh and have a, have a happy new year, everyone. What little birds had to tell you. I'll see you soon. Good night, fam. I think I liked it better being blind When I couldn't read between the lines And when I couldn't see the cracks in the structure That lay bare before me the whole time I think I liked it better back when I Suspended disbelief and swallowed pride I thought I knew the difference in the red from the blue, but they both bleed us so dry. They both bleed us so dry. My favorite songs don't hit the same way. I get to the end of a four minute track and I'm only looking back thinking, what did they actually say? <laughs>